Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. So glad to be here with you guys. I am Lynn, and I am not a pastor here at Love Lake Norman. I do get to speak, um, though I am a teacher, and the kids call me Miss Lynn. I have other titles. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a employee. I'm a friend. But let me tell you, my favorite thing I'm called right now is Nana. I love being Nana. I've got three little precious grandkids that live close by. I have Atlas, who's almost five. Arlo will be three in a couple weeks. And Maisie, girl who's 10 months old. And then next Tuesday, I fly to Vienna because my daughter there is having my fourth grandchild, little boy. So that's super exciting. Um, But I am just a sucker for those grandchildren, especially the boys because they're older. So I will pretty much do anything they want. They'll go, hey, Nana, you want to dig for worms? Of course I do. They go, hey, Nana, do you want to chase me around the house and be a bad guy? Of course I do. Other day they said, hey, Nana, can we give you a haircut? I did pause on that one. (laughs) I said, so what are you going to cut Nana's hair with? They had a brush and a comb. I said, sure, have at it. I had a great hairdo after that. So when just before Christmas, they said, hey, Nana, can we bake gingerbread cookies with you? I was like, yes, of course. So we decided we were going to bake some gingerbread cookies. And so we were going to do this like after church on Sunday, they'd come over and take a nap. And then we would bake cookies when they got up. So I got them down for a nap. And I thought, I probably should make the dough now because it's going to go so much better if the dough was already made. So I got them down. I started to make the dough, pull out the recipe. Butter. Not enough Butter. We need molasses for gingerbread cookies. Looked up in the pantry, uh, no molasses. Brown sugar, have brown sugar, but it's as hard as a rock. So gotta do the thing, I'm gonna have to go to the Harris Teeter to get all the supplies, so I have it done by the time the kids wake up, no problem. I pretty much live across the street from Harris Teeter. This should not be a problem. So I grab my wallet, get in the car, head out to Harris Teeter, I even get in the parking lot and pull through a space, that's gonna make it so much quicker. Jump in the Harris Teeter, I know exactly where to go to get the butter, the brown sugar, molasses, go to the self checkout, no line, boom. I'm gonna be home in probably about 15 minutes. So I go back out to the parking lot to where I left my car, go down the aisle, I don't see my car. Go further down the aisle, I still don't see my car. I go, okay, well maybe I parked on the other aisle. So I go over the other aisle, go up and down the aisle, I'm not seeing my car. You know how that is. Isn't that frustrating? So I go two aisles back over this way, walk up and down the aisle. I'm still not seeing my car. I am walking around that parking lot so long. I'm like that woman that people know is lost. You see that person, they're just like going like this. That is me. I'm walking around the parking lot going, where is my car? I know it was right here. How could I have forgot it? So in desperation, I go, you know, I've got to do the one thing I never, never, never want to do desperate times call for desperate measures. I have to pull out the key fob and hit the panic button. You know, I've never, ever, ever hit the panic button because you don't want to draw attention to yourself, but I have to do it. So I hold it up, boom, I hit the panic button. Nothing. Not a beat, not a tweet, nothing. I go, okay, well, maybe it doesn't really work or it's tired because I've never used it. So let me try it one more time. So I hold it up, push it, Again, nothing. 
I'm like, oh no, someone has stolen my car. How could this be? I had the only key fob we own right here in my hand. How could they have driven off with my car? But somehow, something must have happened. I'm thinking through, what am I going to do? I can't call my husband to come get me. He's home with the boys sleeping. I could walk, but that's going to take me like 30 or 45 minutes. And I'm going through my head thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to go home? Where did my car go? And then it hits me. I'm looking for the wrong car. (laughs) Because the car I'm looking for is this car, which is my 2008, this is Lexi. My 2008 280, what is it, SI2, I don't know what, two, SI250 car. She's a 2008, over 200,000 miles, but she looks good for her age, doesn't she? Yeah. So that was the car I was looking for. But in fact, this is the car I drove to the grocery store. That is my son-in-law's car that's been sitting in my driveway for two years while he lives with my daughter in Vienna. It's like a 2000 Civic with very bad oxidized paint job. Um, But I walked by that car multiple times, looked right at it, but because that was not the car I was looking for, I didn't even see it. So then I got in the car and went home. But I was looking right at it, but I did not recognize it because it was not the car I was looking for. Has that ever happened to you? You know, you're looking... You're looking for something, but you have in your mind it's something different. Wives, you've probably experienced this with your husbands, right? Because your husband's looking for something, and you say, oh, it's right there, right in the pantry or wherever. And they go, it's not here. It's not here. And you go and go, yes, here it is. You were staring right at it the entire time. That happens all the time. That can happen to us in our lives. We're looking right at something but we don't see it, don't recognize it, because we're looking for something else. We're looking for the wrong thing. Hey, before we get started, can we pray together? Um, Hey, God, this is me, Miss Lynn, and all my friends here at Love Lake Norman. God, thank you for your presence here today. God, I thank you for what you're going to do in this place. God, I thank you for the message that you have given me, and I pray for every single heart in this room that you have prepared and for the message you have designed specifically for them. God, um, I thank you for what you're doing. Help me to remember, God, this is not about me at all. This is all about you. I give you all the glory for this day in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So, guys, we are continuing our study of the gospel of Luke. Um, And so today we are on gospel, the chapter 14 of the book of Luke. Um, And so to really go into chapter 14 of the book of Luke, we need to kind of back up into chapter 13 to give you a little bit of foundation of what is happening. So last last week we learned about serving, about washing feet. It was amazing. But as we were wrapping up that chapter, Jesus has dropped a bomb on the apostles. Actually, he drops several bombs on the apostles. First, he tells the apostles, he says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is a traitor. Well, this is a little discerning for the apostles. I mean, they had been doing life together. They've been living together. They're all close. And they find out now one of them is going to betray Jesus. That's a bomb. Then Jesus tells them, I'm going to be leaving you. And where I'm going right now, you can't go with me. See, most of the disciples, these apostles, left their lives behind. They dropped everything to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is telling them, I'm leaving. I'm leaving you behind, and you can't go with me. That's another bomb. And then Jesus tells Peter that he is going to to deny him three times. Three times. So he says, you're going to, one is going to betray me. 
I'm going to leave you and you're going to deny me. So now in chapter 14, Jesus is reading the room and he starts off chapter 14 with these words. He says, after all this, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus can read the room. He goes, guys, I know you're scared. I know you're confused. I know you don't understand what is happening. But believe me when I say, it's going to be okay. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And pretty much Jesus spends the entire chapter, uh, rest of this chapter in chapter 14, giving them justification and reasons telling them how and why to not let their hearts be troubled. He said, you're going to have some hard times, guys. I promise you, I know it's going to happen, but do not let your hearts be troubled. So we're going to kind of mark through this. Let me see if I can write this all up here. He says, do not let your hearts be, I promise you that's what it says, if you can't read my writing, troubled. So he's going to go through and tell them how and why to not let their hearts be troubled. So he moves on after this, and he continues this verse and says, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come, come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. That's a lot of words. But Jesus is essentially telling them, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. It's going to be okay. In the end, you're going to be with me in heaven. You're going to be with me in paradise. No matter how hard this life gets, and it's going to be hard. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes towards the goal that one day you are going to be with me in heaven. It's going to be okay. You know, last fall, Gerald did a great job painting for us a picture of what heaven was going to be like. But I don't think we imagine and dream enough about heaven. I don't think we think enough about heaven. If heaven is our goal, I think we should think on it just a little bit more. This past Wednesday, I um, was taking and picking up my oldest grandson, Atlas, to Awana. Now, I say Awana because I have said Awanas, and he has corrected me. Nana, it's not Awanas, it's Awana. So just so you know, there's no S on Awana. I've taken him multiple times, but I've never picked him up. So I took him to Awana, and then I dropped him off, and I said, buddy, I'll come back and get you. He said, well, Nana, don't change your mind. I go, I I promise I won't change my mind, because if I did, you wouldn't get home. So I promise I'll come back and get you to take you home. I'll pick you up from Awana. So I went and picked him up from Awana afterwards, and I get him in the car, and I said, so, hey, buddy, what did you learn in Awana today? He said, well, we talked about the Israelites, That's pretty cool. He talked about the Israelites. And we talked about the Israelites and the bad guys. I mean, he's four. There's always bad guys involved. And so so we got from the Israelites to the bad guys to fighting to people dying to them going to heaven. Got in that transition. He said something about people going to heaven. I was like, guys, I said, well, buddy, if we follow Jesus, we're all going to go to heaven one day. He said, well, Nana, I'm not ready to go to heaven yet. I'm still thinking. I was like, well, buddy, I'm not ready for you to go to heaven yet either, but what you thinking about? Like what heaven's going to be like? He said, yeah, I'm still thinking. I said, well, what do you think heaven's going to be like? He said, I think it's going to be kind of like earth. 
say, okay, maybe it's going to be kind of like earth. He said, will bees sting you in heaven? I said, no, they might be bees there, but they're not going to sting you. He goes, oh. I said, you know what? There may be lions in heaven, and you can pet the lions, because he's really into big animals. He said, they won't eat you? I go, no, they won't eat you in heaven. I said, what else do you think heaven's like? He said, well, mommy said there'd be candy and a chocolate fountain. I've never seen a chocolate fountain. And she said, I could eat all the ice cream I want, and it won't make my belly hurt. I said, that's pretty amazing. Candy, chocolate fountain, and all the ice cream you want, even for the lactose intolerant. And it will not make your belly hurt. Heaven. Guys, no matter what's going on in this life, let not your hearts be troubled, because we have heaven to look forward to. Follow Jesus, and we're all going to go to heaven. That is what we have to look forward to. But then, you know, we know that Jesus meant heaven, but the apostles didn't quite get it. Because Thomas, because he tells the apostles then, he says, this is where I'm going, and you know the way to get there. And Thomas says, "Uh, Jesus, no, we don't know the way. I don't even know where you're going. How can I know the way? So Jesus then says this. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus telling them, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. See, we know that Jesus is saying, I am the only way to heaven. No other religion will get you to God except me. Jesus is saying truth, I am the only truth. And Jesus is saying I am the life. Eternal life comes through me. But Jesus is actually saying something else to the apostles. Do you know that in the book of John, there are no parables? John doesn't use any parables in the book of John. But Jesus still speaks in what we call allegory or like a word picture. So Jesus will tell, give examples and illustrations in the context of the audience of things that they will understand. So in this context, he is going to describe this and explain this in a way that the disciples understand, the apostles understand. Now, all the apostles are Jews. Jesus has just told them, I'm going to my father's house. So to a Jew, who, what do you think the father's house is? It's the tabernacle, the temple is the Father's house. And he is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and we are going to my Father's house. Now, the, the temple, the tabernacle, is like a representation of heaven. It's like the throne of God. Now, when Moses and the children of Israel were out in the desert, God gave Moses a very specific plan on how to build a tabernacle for a place for God to dwell, dwell on earth. And it was a mobile tabernacle. It was a tent so that every time the Israelites moved to another place, they could pack up the tabernacle, which was the house of God, and take it with them and set it up in the next place they lived. But about 500 years later, God chose Solomon, the son of David, to build a permanent tabernacle. And God had given David very specific instructions on how to build his permanent tabernacle, and then David gave those to his son Solomon to recreate. So the tabernacle actually did have many rooms. The tabernacle had three rooms. We'll show a 
show it up here on the screen. There were three rooms. There was the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. So the outer court wasn't so much a room, but an area. So it was an area where the regular old Israelites and Jews could gather. This is where they would give their, uh, offer their sacrifices for atonement. This was where, um, considered like the very beginning of their relationship with God, where they gathered. Now remember the, the illustration, the story where Jesus went into the temple and overturned the tables of the, of the merchants? This is where that was done in the outer court area of the tabernacle. So that was the main area where most people of the Jewish faith gathered. Then they had the holy place. And the holy place was more enclosed. And the holy place was where the table the showbread, the menorah, the altar of incense was. And in this area, only the priest could enter this. This area also represented a deeper level of relationship and understanding of God and who he was. But only the priest could go in the holy place. Now, the next area is the holy of holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And this is where it was known or believed that God himself dwelled. Now, only one person was allowed in the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And he could only go in there one time a year at Yom Kippur, which was the Day of Atonement. So he could only go in that room after he had been fully atoned of his sins, fully cleansed. And even then, they would tie so these like little pomegranate um, bells around the hem of his garment, and they would tie a rope around his ankle. Because if he went in that room and he was not fully cleansed, he had any, just a small smidgen of sin on him, unforgiven, it would be fatal. So he would have those little bells because the other high priests would listen out. And if they'd heard the little tinkling, they knew he was still alive. But if they didn't hear any tinkling, and they maybe heard a thud, they would use that rope to pull him out from his dead body out of that room. Because it would be fatal. So you did not accidentally wander into the Holy of Holies. That would be fatal. You would not want to do that. Um, so only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. But the interesting thing is, too, at, to enter into every one of these rooms, there was only one entrance point, only one entry. To enter into the outer courtyard, that, was known, that entrance was known as the way. The one entrance into the holy place was known as the truth. And the one entrance into the holy of holies was also known as the life. Jesus is telling the apostles, speaking to them in a way they understand, that this was the place where God dwelled. Every single path, every single access point, every single level of relationship with God, with God was through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is telling the apostles and telling us, he's saying, you want to know Jesus or want to know God? You know me. You want to be in the presence of God? You know me. You want to know me? You know me? You know the Father, too. Every single way to God was through Jesus. You know, some people say, we do hear, that Christianity is exclusive. But really, it is inclusive. Jesus 
His way is open to everyone. He's not excluding anybody. Anybody can follow Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I am God in the flesh. What better way to get to God than through God? And when Jesus died on the cross, when his breath and spirit left him and he went to heaven, we are told that the earth quaked and that veil, that big um, divider between the holy of holies, where God dwelled and everything else was ripped in half. Now suddenly everybody had access to God the Father. Christianity is inclusive to everyone. But Jesus is that way because Jesus is God in the flesh. But apparently, the apostles still had a hard time understanding this. Because Philip then says, well, Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. See, they were looking right at Jesus, but didn't quite see who he was. They did not quite realize that Jesus was a tangible, visible manifestation of an invisible God. That Jesus is God in the flesh. But part of the reason they could not quite see who Jesus really was, that he was God in the flesh. I mean, they knew that he had a relationship with God, but they did not really realize that he was God. And part of that reason was because they had Jesus with them, but not the spirit of Jesus within them. So because they did not have the spirit living in them, they did not quite still have the discernment and the insight. It was like they had a veil in front of them, so they couldn't really see who Jesus was. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, For those who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. So that would tell us if we can have a veil removed, there must have been a veil there. So because they didn't quite have the spirit yet, they had a veil and they couldn't quite see Jesus. But the good news is, Jesus says, I'm gonna send you my spirit. He says that in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The apostles at this point did not have the Holy Spirit in him, kind of got behind, Jesus is the way, and the Holy Spirit. They did not yet have the Holy Spirit in them. So if you remember what will happen at the day of Pentecost, so after Jesus dies on the cross, after he rises to heaven, after he then raises from the dead, and then he is, ascends back into heaven on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit rains down upon the apostles. Let me tell you guys, at that point, they are unrecognizable. They are bold. They are confident. They are fearless. Because then they have Jesus not only with them, but dwelling inside them. Let me tell you, he, Jesus is telling them, do not let your hearts be troubled because you are gonna go to heaven one day. I am the way to get you to heaven. But in the meantime, I am gonna send my spirit to live in you and guide you. 
Guys, I am a huge fan of the Holy Spirit. Big fan of the Holy Spirit. So let me tell you, without the Holy Spirit, I'm a mess. I am just a mess. When I depend upon the Holy Spirit, and I call upon him, and I say, Holy Spirit, I need you, make me better. He just makes me better. With the Holy Spirit, I am kinder, I am more patient, I have more discernment, I have more wisdom, I know when to keep my mouth shut, he stops me from talking when I should not talk. I am just a better person when I call upon the Holy Spirit to guide me and direct me. But when I don't call on the Holy Spirit, it is no bueno. I am just the opposite. I am short of temper. I am, I, I, uh, am not patient. I am not kind. I say things I should not say. And I care way too much what people think about me. I kind of define these two images. I have Zen Lin. Zen Lin is when I depend upon the Holy Spirit. And when I don't, I'm like cray cray Lin. I am not, you do not want to be with me. My much, I like Zen Lin way, way better. Because the Holy Spirit is a power within us. The Holy Spirit just makes us better. The Holy Spirit can make us all better. The Holy Spirit gives us insight and discernment and wisdom we cannot have on our own. He goes on to say this about the Holy Spirit what it does for us. He says, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit teaches us things. The whole, I, there's oftentimes, I, on my way to work, I, I talk to God I, all the way, all the time, but especially on my way to work, because I live in Huntersville, and I work in South Park. So I have a lot of opportunity to talk to God on my way to work. So I'll be driving to work, and this is a conversation I have. I go, hey God, how are you? Good morning. And they'll go, is it really morning for you, God? I don't think you care if I say morning, do you, God? Hey, good morning. And I just say, hey, God, I need you today. God, I need you to make me better. God, I need you to open my eyes to opportunities all around me, people I need to love. God, I need you to help me keep my mouth shut. My mouth should be shut. God, I need you to, need you to give me discernment. God, I need you to help me do my job the best I can do for the, your glory. There are times, even in my work, I don't even know what to do. Like, I've been asked to do something, and I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. So I will say, Holy Spirit, can you help me? Holy Spirit, you can do exponentially more than I can do. And although I don't know how to do this, Holy Spirit, you do. So can you show me how? And guys, it is crazy. I will just suddenly know how to do it. Because I've depended upon the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, I am not much, but I can do amazing things with His Spirit living through me. I wish I had understood this power when I was younger. So if you are younger, I know most of you are younger than me, know you've got this power living in you. Call upon the Holy Spirit to help you. Guys, with the Holy Spirit, we are just better versions of ourselves. The Holy Spirit just makes us better. But not only that, it gets even better for what the Holy Spirit can do with us. He can give us something unimaginable. He says this 
in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace. Isn't that amazing? Don't we all just want peace? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, for I am going to give you peace. Now let's be clear here. Jesus is not saying your life is going to be peaceful. That's not what he's saying. And he's not saying you are not going to have trouble. He actually says just the opposite. Because two chapters over in chapter 16, this is what Jesus says. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, in spite of what's going on all around you, you can still have peace within you. Because think about it. Is it our circumstances that's the problem? Or how we feel about our circumstances that's really the problem? Um, Not sure if any of you are country music fans, but I know like two weeks ago, Toby Keith passed away. I don't know if you're or listen to Toby Keith. Um, but this made me really sad because I have a lot of memories of Toby Keith and his music. Because there were many years, my son, who turned 30 yesterday, just the b- birthday before yours, Gerald turned 30. How can that be? But when he was like in third and fourth grade, he loved country music. He was very patriotic, a patriot. So he loved Toby Keith. So at that time, he went to school in Concord at First Islamic Christian. I would drive him back and forth, and the whole back and forth, we would be belting out Toby Keith songs all the way back and forth. And then a few years ago when he got married, um, he actually eloped. So we threw him a wedding party, and he and I got to do this impromptu mother-son dance to the Red, White, and Blue by Toby Keith. So I just had very fond memories of Toby Keith and his music. But that day that he passed away, he died of stomach cancer. I heard an interview that he had done where they were asking him about how he felt, like how he was dealing with having stomach cancer. And this is pretty much what he said. He said, you know, cancer is a roller coaster and it can be a very dark place. He said, but I have a faith that sees me through. He said, I've gotten to the point that I'm okay whether I get through this cancer or not. Because of my faith, I have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I just don't know how people without faith get through it. Right? He just had peace. Isn't that what we all want? We want a peace. A peace that can only come from the Holy Spirit, that could come from Jesus. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. My spirit that lives within you can give you a peace. When I was little, I used to love watching the Miss America pageants. I don't know if they even had the Miss America pageants anymore. But remember, they would ask the contestants, what do you want most? And they would say, world peace. You know, they, and then the next one would say, world, everyone said world peace, world peace, world peace. But the world can't have peace. There will never be peace in this world until Jesus comes. Because the ruler of this world, Satan, does not want peace. The ruler of this world, Satan, wants chaos. 
The only true source of peace is Jesus Christ. He is the only place we can really find peace. But oftentimes, we are looking right at Jesus and working in our lives. He's working in our lives, and we're looking right at that, and we don't see him working. Because what we want Jesus to do is we want him to work out there. We want him to change things out there. And where Jesus does his best work is right in here. How he changes us from the inside out. That is what the power of the Holy Spirit can do. That's what he wants to do in us. He wants to change us. He wants to make us better. And he wants to give us a peace that is not conditioned on our circumstances. Jesus is telling his apostles at this, at this point, he is saying, um, hey guys, do not let your hearts be troubled because I am God. He says, one day you're gonna be with me in heaven because I am the way and I'm gonna get you there. But until that time, I am gonna send my spirit to live with you. And I no longer live in a temple made of wood and stone because now I live in you. You are my temple. And my spirit that lives within you is going to help you and guide you, but best of all, is going to give you a peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that is incomprehensible, unimaginable, supernatural, beyond all reason. It's a peace the world wants. It's a peace that the world can't give you, but it is a peace that the world wants. Because the world does want peace. But as Jesus said earlier in this passage, he says, the world does not see me and the world does not know me. The world does not recognize me because the world's not looking for me. But the world, what the world does see is the world sees you. The world sees you. And what the world cannot deny, the world being those who are not followers of Christ, what they cannot deny is when they see you in a place, in a set of circumstances, with the chaos all around you, in a place where you should be a puddle on the floor, but they look into your eyes, and instead of seeing despair, they see peace. They see peace. So even though we may not have peace all around us, we can still have peace within us. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Last Wednesday, I went to the second funeral in two months for a young person who could not find peace. I cannot pretend to even understand what's going on in someone's mind when they feel that type of hopelessness. But what I do know is that, that Jesus promises us we can have peace. That peace is available for everyone. Everyone has access to that peace. But there's also the ruler of this world, Satan, is a liar and a thief. And he does not want you to have peace. He wants you to feel chaos. He does not want you to believe your heart should not be troubled. He wants your heart to be troubled. But I'll also know that we cannot have two conflicting thoughts in our mind. We cannot be calling on the name of Jesus, have peace, and believe the lies of Satan. So sometimes you might find yourself in a place that you feel so much chaos within, and all you can manage to do is just whisper the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want and I need your peace. 
And the Bible tells us that because of that Holy Spirit that lives within us, even when we do not know what to ask, on our behalf, he will beseech the Father for anything that we ask in his name to give it to us. So friends, if you find yourself in a place like that, just whisper the name of Jesus. Whisper the name of Jesus. And how do we get that peace? We just ask him for it. So let's do that right now. Hey, Father God, thank you for who you are and thank you for who you are to each of us. Thank you for your spirit that dwells in us and lives within us. God, to empower us, to make us better, to keep us closer to you. But God, also thank you for that peace that lives within us. I'm so grateful for that. But God, also we pray that peace in us could be a light in a dark world to provide hope to people who do not know you to bring them to you. So God, we just pray for that, that we would be just a a reflection of you and your love for us and your spirit of truth and peace and the way. So God, we thank you for what you're doing here today, God, and we love you so much. In your son's Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.